welcome back to Artwatch Podcast. If you remember last week, I said that this is going to be a two-part episode about Belkisayon. Now we're going into part two. Just a quick recap, Belkisayon was a Cuban artist born on January 23rd, 1967, and she died September 11th, 1999. If you listen to last week, then you also know that there is a bit of a content warning for this episode. If you are sensitive to suicide or depression, you might want to stop listening. Um, I guess I'll do the countdown like I did last week. So three, two, one, and we're jumping in. Okay, so just a quick recap. So last week I talked about kind of what she did as an artist, what she focused on, which was mainly the inner workings of the Awakua society. She focused on the mythology rather than the performance, and she had a primary emphasis on Sikan, who was one of the female um, figures in the Awakua society. And if you remember from last week, the Awakua society was a secret society that was only for men. So the fact that she had a an in rather with these men was pretty amazing given the fact that it was a male only society so a pretty interesting fact that she was able to get into these meetings um how she was i don't know i haven't been able to find how she was able to get into the meetings it was probably somebody that she knew um or like you know a lot of networking with people that she knew and kind of building relationships with people that were possibly in it and eventually somehow she got the invitation to go to the meetings. Um, But so this episode is going to focus on her reception or rather her the reception of her work to the general public. Now she was pretty successful. I mean she participated in many uh, biennials, she won many awards, she was earning artists in residencies throughout the U.S., around the world, and in the year of her death, she actually was planning to go to the U.S. to fulfill, I think, one or quite a few other artists and residencies, which is pretty phenomenal given that this was still that uh, during that special period of Cuba, I believe. And um, even today, she's still getting quite a few retrospectives, or she's being put into group shows. I actually had the pleasure of seeing one in Houston a few years ago, and I think most of my conversation is going to focus on that because I have like my own personal experience with seeing the work, or her work, rather. So I liked the show, but at the same time, I kind of dislike it, and um, I think part of that was because the way that the curator composed the show was mostly focused on like the mystery behind her death like was it actually suicide was it possibly murder and so I I didn't it kind of felt like the the curator was creating this story of like what possibly happened to the artist like she was at the peak of her career becoming like or getting closer to that peak in her career since she was so young and so yeah it kind of was this weird sort of trying to psychoanalyze the artist, which I guess there's not necessarily a problem with psychoanalysis, but the way that it was done for this exhibition was a bit iffy. I guess that's the only way I can describe it. So basically, when you walked into the exhibition, um, of course, you're greeted by the, um, the front desk workers at the gallery, and then there's like a small blurb about the artist and like her background, 
and then I believe there was a portrait of her, um, a photograph. And it wasn't quite clear the route that you were supposed to take or the intended route of the curator. Obviously, if you've been to an exhibition, you know, sometimes it's either guided by gallery, like you're going one gallery after the other, or if the space itself is quite large, sometimes there's a specific pathway that you can kind of tell that the, the curator wants you to go on. For this one, it was like, there were two separate ways. So there was one route that took you to this um, like video projection sort of deal. And it was a bunch of uh, photographs of the artist and her practice and her schooling and her life, the many um, competitions she went to, award ceremonies that she was at and the other artists that she was working with. Now that was the first route. The second route was where you dive right into the gallery and where most of her works were being shown. And each of the works, I believe there were probably like six that were on these big like black portals um, that her work was mounted on. I, I don't know if that was integral to the pieces themselves or if that was just the curatorial choice, um, but they were kind of like these like arches that kind of came to a point. So kind of like if you, chopped a football in half, but made it a little bit more round at the top instead of pointed. That's kind of the shape that the, the works took. So I don't know um, if that was her intention or if that was the curator's intention. But basically, he, the curator set it up chronologically mostly, like her early works were separated to one side and her later works were on another. You could tell the early works um, from the later ones because there was more color in them. And then as she progressed in her career, they became more monochromatic. And yeah, so you would go through the, the portals. It was kind of like the curator was trying to get you inside the mind of the artist. And I know that's a bit hard to describe if you've never like been to an exhibition like that. I know that a lot of times if you've ever been to like a Van Gogh exhibition, curators are like trying to focus on his death as well and how it's like, it's influenced his art and his depression has become part of it and all that other stuff. It was kind of that same thing that was happening at the Belkisayon exhibition that I saw. Um, and it kind of like pulled you through her mind because of the way it was, well, one, the way it was displayed and two, the fact that it was chronological. So you did see the clear separation um, or maturity, I should say, of her works, because some of those early ones, I believe, were still when she was a student rather than like a full graduated person with a degree in art. I know there's that's probably the worst way to describe it. Anyway, so yeah, there's kind of like this forced perception of being inside her mind. And one thing I remember pretty clearly about the exhibition itself was the wall text. In each one, the curator really took a lot of liberty. I mean, there was still like the the clear, like this is what this work is doing. Here's who it's representing, you know, like normal art historical stuff. It was almost like as the chronology of the works progressed into like later, into her later works, it was like the curator was hinting at like, oh, they're becoming much more bleak and the material itself is much darker. There's this tension between Christianity and this, um, quote, non-Western, end quote, religion, way of life. And then also, again, like trying to add in that, that psychoanalysis aspect. And then it ends 
with, I believe, the simultaneous death portal of Sikan, and that was like the very end of the hall. So this exhibition was like one long, like the gallery rather, was a longer hall, and like these portals kind of were staggered at an angle, and as you worked your way through them, you would end at the other side of the gallery with that big, like it was like multi-time, like like you would see in a like a mural where there's like different um, time spans, circles happening at the same time. Yeah, so it was kind of like, it was really, I hate to say weird, cause it wasn't weird, but it was like when you kind of can tell like the curator is arguing something very, very heavily. And like, it just made it so much stronger, I think because on the opposite end of the gallery was that room where you had all of the videos playing and and it was it was really nostalgic like you were flipping through somebody's family photo album and like they even identified the another artist Tanya Bruguera who was also like from Cuba and they practiced at the same time and if you're familiar with Bruguera's work like she's become so well known and she's also had like such an incredibly successful career and it was kind of like like she popped up in quite a few of those pictures and whether or not it was just because they happened to be friends or maybe the curator was trying to say that oh like this could have been Belkisayon like look at how successful like Bruguera was like they were kind of on that same curve where they were gaining popularity and, and Ayon I think was gaining it a little bit quicker or like a little bit differently from from the way the the uh, video was kind of portrayed and also kind of like a little bit kind of like they were being pitted against each other which like why do we constantly have to pit women against each other but that's a side note um but yeah I don't know it was it was one of those exhibitions where you're like when you first walk through it you're like wow this is this is amazing you know like this is I've never experienced an art, art like this I've never like you know like been exposed to this type of culture or this type of production method and then when you leave and you start writing about it, you're like, you know, a lot of this didn't settle right with me. And and I think that's such a stark contrast to how her work was presented at El Museo de Barrio in New York. And I, I didn't obviously get to see it there, but I've seen some like exhibition photographs from it. And it was, it was constructed quite differently. It seemed as though most of the portals were walls rather than like these actual big like to the shape of the art itself portal so then it must have been that the exhibition that I saw was like it was consciously chosen by the curator to make these large portals to make it seem like you were walking through the mind of the artist now there I did see in like the um, photographs from Del Barrio that there was like one where it was like kind of situated in the corner, but I think that is actually just like the the structural integrity of the piece, like it's meant to be viewed in that way. But it you can kind of see like, and it was the same retrospective, it's just displayed completely different. And um, I don't know, like I, I think that it does a bit of an injustice to the artist when you're focusing more on the happenings of her death rather than than the work itself and like there's nothing wrong like I well there's nothing wrong with like taking into account the artist's life and like the production of their work because like humans we're all affected by you know like what's going on around us and like what we're thinking 
But I think that it's irresponsible as art historians to focus on that one aspect and like push it onto every single piece that the artist creates because that's not the case. Like it's not going to, or primarily it won't dictate how the artist is doing something. And like her work is quite consistent. I mean, the presence of both uh, Christianity and the religion of the Abakua is present throughout all of the work. I mean, even her early works, I think there was one, it was reminiscent of the Last Supper. So she's clearly, you know, paralleling, like creating a parallel between these two vastly different, like, ways of life and ways of believing, and she's bringing them together. And so, I don't know, like, I think that there's there's more to the artist's work than just like, you know, a perceived psychoanalysis of who she was as a person. Like we didn't know her. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know if the curator did. I highly doubt it. Um, well, I wouldn't say highly doubt because you never know. Like sometimes, sometimes you'd be surprised. But anyway, um, that's definitely not the point. I think the point is that as, as uh, art historians and as myself like I mean I want to get into curatorial work to go back to like you you constantly hear this like let the work speak for itself and like we absolutely need to let the work speak for itself and I think this is a perfect example of it and and although it was the same curator for the iteration of Nkame uh, retrospective that I saw it seems like from all of the exhibition images at each location that the display was was quite different and so I mean you can you can kind of see how galleries or museums do have a bit of a say in this and and how that can change um so I mean I would hesitate to say all of the fault is the curators because you do have to like I don't know like it's like a little bit political with getting works shown places. Um, yeah, but I mean, overall, like she had quite a successful career and I mean, her work is, was and still is quite popular or it's becoming more popular. Again, it's like sort of having like, I guess you could say a revival of interest. Um, I mean, New York Times, I believe in like 2018 it was, did like a belated, um, obituary for her, which is, like, pretty neat. Um, a little bit interesting. I'm curious to know, like, what the, what the reasoning for it was, but I haven't, I didn't, I wasn't able to find it, although that would be quite cool to find. And, um, yeah, I feel like I rambled on a bunch, but I'm not sure if I myself am a fan of this two-parter, like, short version, so... Let me know what you think, and like if I did do a two-parter, like what would you like to, to like hear from me? I guess, and in the next one of the upcoming episodes will be about um, the anime about Mesoamerica. Specific, it's called Onyx Equinox. So if you want to submit questions or if you have comments on like what we should talk about um please email me artwatchpodcast at gmail.com and 
yeah, like, let me know. Obviously, stay tuned for that. I think in an upcoming episode, I'd like to talk about a couple other artists that are are from Brazil, um, maybe another Cuban artist, and then one from Argentina as well. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think, like, actually, now that I'm, I'm voicing this, I think I might stick with a longer episode where I do, like, the entirety, because I feel like my train of thought was a little bit jumbled. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I, I think that's a better plan. Um, but so for the Onyx Equinox episode, um, my former classmate and still friend and colleague, uh, Hector Garcia, will be joining us. And yeah, so like we're really excited. He is also another Latin Americanist and he, I believe, focuses mainly on Chicano art, but he'll tell you more about his uh, work when that episode gets here. So it'll probably sometime in late February. So you have plenty of time to watch Onyx Equinox. We're gonna discuss the first six episodes um, from an art historical perspective. And yeah, so now it is time for my weekly patron shout out. Thank you, Caitlin, for being my my very first patron. Um, It is much appreciated. Uh, The money that our patrons donate goes to helping me keep this more consistent. It's going to help me pay for um, getting the podcast up on Spotify. And so I'm really excited about that in the next week or two. Um, It'll actually be available on Spotify and a couple other platforms that you have to kind of like finagle your way into. But yeah, so like you're your support on Patreon means the world to me. And even if it's one of the lower ones, I am like so, so grateful because any every dollar that you, you support for me on Patreon goes to making this podcast happen. And I am so incredibly grateful for it. Um, I, there are different levels and check it out, patreon.com slash podcast, and I'll have the link below. There's a lot of cool incentives for each um, level, one of them being discounts on soon-to-becoming merch, and I know I've said that for quite some time now, but I have been designing some and trying to find the best platform for a website and a place to sell non-Patreon merch. So yeah, keep an eye out for that, and um, if you aren't already, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at ArtWatchPodcast. Um... Yeah, I hope you have a fantastic week. I will see you next time.